Today on the Cineos Health Podcast, we'll be talking about how real-world data may be leveraged for company success. I'm Jeff Stewart from Cineos Health Consulting. I'll be talking with Craig Lipset. Craig is a managing partner at Clinical Innovation Partners. Craig was the former head of clinical innovation within worldwide research and development at Pfizer previously, so brings a large pharma perspective back to smaller companies. How do you leverage real-world data to make your own clinical trials more effective, faster, cheaper, or smarter? Real-world data for clinical innovation next on the Cineos Health Podcast. Craig Lipset, welcome to the Cineos Health Podcast. Great to be here with you. Thanks. Unlike many of the people that I interview on this podcast, you're not in our company and I don't know you, but you have a very interesting background. Do you mind telling me what you do now and what the background is that got you here? Absolutely. I most recently served as head of clinical innovation at Pfizer. I uh, led a team that was focused on innovation in our medicine development programs, and that included our use of digital our strategies for engaging with patients, our partnerships with large health systems to embed research within healthcare, and our collaborations and consortia with others, initiatives like Transcelerate. I left there last summer, and today I operate a growth advisory. I'm working today with a number of biotech and pharma companies on their enterprise strategies for innovation and development. I'm working with a number of tech and startups on their products and go-to-market, as well as with venture on investing in this area around the process of how we develop our medicine. And then your company is called? The company is called Clinical Innovation Partners. You came from the biggest of big pharma doing this work and now are taking it to really small pharma and clients at this time. What is it that big pharma knows that small companies need to know about the kind of work that you're advising on? Companies today are making use of real world data in very real ways to impact their medicine development programs. This isn't about all pipe dream and future states, we're seeing companies, large and small, that are actively using access to real-world data to improve study design and planning, whether that's through dashboards that are enabling them to optimize and test their protocols or improve how they're identifying their sites. And that pulls all the way through to how companies are showing that they can use this type of data to support regulatory engagement in obtaining new labels for medicines based solely off of real-world data without even running prospective clinical trials. And so many of these areas that some may look at and say this is an exciting part of our future should start by looking at use cases today that companies are taking advantage of to improve their active trials or find creative solutions for regulatory pathways. If you're a company listening to this and you weren't already into real-world evidence or real-world data, you might think of real-world data as another hassle. It sounds like it's not, that you're seeing something where you're making something easier or possible that wasn't possible before. I think that's right. I think there are interesting conversations I see online and at conferences about real-world evidence replacing randomized clinical trials. That doesn't seem logical to me when for most investigational medicines, there is no real-world evidence to take advantage of to replace the clinical trial. On the other hand, for medicines that are on the market, the ability to leverage that data to potentially replace an RCT is very realistic. 
On the other hand, that doesn't mean that it is an either or. I think some of the most exciting use cases from where I sit are how we can take advantage of this data to drive better planned and executed studies, as well as to drive greater efficiency. And so while there are some great use cases for how this data is being incorporated today with a heavy lean towards study design and planning, I think we're starting to see some really promising signals for how real-world data can be used in the context of a prospective randomized trial to improve some of our data capture through e-sourcing of data. That data can be used to mitigate or reduce some of the burden of control arms in studies for the use of synthetic controls. And in an area that I've been particularly cautious about, but the ability to support patient recruitment in our trials, where sometimes I fear people are a little overzealous to feel that it's, well, easier than it is. Mm. But I think all of these have great potential to drive a much better approach for existing studies today. If I'm the CEO of a company that already has clinical trials mapped out, I think I might, just as a normal course of action, pretend that real-world evidence didn't exist. I wouldn't try to look for it. I would just say, well, you know, I've got my plan. And I wouldn't have gone out. Why am I wrong? It doesn't mean that you'll fail with your traditional approach, but it probably means you're going to be passed, that people are going to bypass the protocol amendment that you're going to get dumped on and lose time around because they'll have better designed their study using this data. They'll pass you and how they're capturing data more efficiently. And in some cases, they may pass you entirely by skipping the need to do that trial that you're busy planning to design and execute because they're leveraging this data to support that regulatory submission directly. Since I'm allowed to pretend I'm a CEO, you've convinced me that maybe I might be making a mistake, but might not. How do I know when I'm in that case where you really should be going down the real world data side of things? As opposed to, well, you know, we have the pathway and this pathway actually might be a smarter one. How do you know between those or how do they know? It is an interesting challenge. And in some cases, the only way to really know is to engage in thoughtful conversations with the regulator. If the purpose for your study is simply internal decision making, you have a lot more autonomy to make some of those decisions on your own. But if the output of your study is toward for regulatory submission, it's your phase three program or something post-approval for a new label, your best strategy is to develop a thoughtful strategy and engage with the regulators in the conversation. Some people have suggested the regulators are dragging their feet on real-world data and real-world evidence, but in many cases, they're looking for ideas and thoughtful strategies to be submitted by sponsors against which they can react. They can't accept or reject something that nobody is submitting to them as a path forward. In some cases, it may need iteration. That first submission that companies are putting in with a creative approach to using real-world data may not fly out of the game. But by having the right brains and resources around this, both from within the companies as well as partners around there, they can address those concerns and work together. And we've already seen it happening. The example with Pfizer aiming a new label for eye branch for breast cancer in men based on this data 
should be an indicator to the community that companies can engage, research sponsors can engage and achieve these goals by working together with the regulators. So going to the regulator side, what's your opinion? Are the regulators generally open, generally hostile, or is it, it depends on who you get? Many of us in this industry work for large organizations. That may be a large university, it may mean a large pharma company, or it might mean a large regulatory agency. And like with any of our organizations, the regulators are made up of a lot of divisions with a lot of different levels of risk tolerance and levels of receptivity. I think that just like many pharma companies, at an enterprise level, at a leadership level, they've signaled support for using these types of data. I think we've seen the same from the leadership inside of the FDA. But then likewise, when we get down into specific therapeutic areas and specific studies inside of a sponsor, we can start to see different levels of risk tolerance, different levels of folks embracing or resisting how one could use this data. I think it's only natural that we should expect to see the same type of diversity inside of the regulator. And so there are some divisions where the level of risk tolerance will look very different than others. There are some divisions that are seeing more submissions using these data than others have. And so it's only to be expected that there will be differences from one division to the other. And that one shouldn't extrapolate either success or resistance in one division and assume that that is the policy across all of the FDA. I think that everybody is learning, and they all need opportunities to learn against thoughtful substrates, thoughtful strategies for using these data to answer important questions being presented by sponsors to different divisions. And which ones are the cowboys? I'm, <laughs> I must admit, even if I talk to physicians over the years, I think a lot of people, when they first start out in the industry or in consulting, they might think, well, a cardiologist is going to be really cutting edge and is really going to be looking for the new incredible thing. And a pediatrician is going to be very risk averse, but not so much. Have you noticed a pattern within the agency where there are some therapeutic areas that really are the ones where they embrace real world evidence to date and others that maybe not so much? I do think there is a lot of variability. And if I had to speculate, I would say that the areas that seem most friendly and receptive that jump out have been in oncology, where the level of risk tolerance differs from elsewhere because of the sense of urgency in rare diseases, where it can otherwise be very challenging to answer questions in some of these populations. And in medical devices, and I hesitate to speculate why, one thought that had come to my mind when you mentioned cowboys was, well, there's nobody more cowboy in healthcare than the surgeon, but Maybe there are better reasons than that for why. All right. Well, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for going through my interest in what actually is happening kind of behind the scenes there. It's an interesting topic and an interesting area to know how people are thinking internally at the agency because otherwise it's a bit of a black box. You mentioned that looking to extend from one indication to another might be a rich ground for real-world data. How do you know? And tell me how this is different, if it is at all. From data mining? That's a very interesting question. How do you know? Probably starts with data mining. It starts with doing different explorations and understanding the data and what things are there. But I think the difference here needs to be more prospective hypotheses being tested than just trolling in the data. 
and taking approaches that can still be a thoughtful study, but one that's simply leveraging real-world data in order to answer that question. That hopefully can keep us from simply trolling through data, looking for breadcrumbs that may not necessarily be correct from a regulatory decision-making perspective. I guess, to me, that's kind of the difference between just real-world data and how we can get access to data and troll through it or mine through it versus real-world evidence and how we use that data in a thoughtful way to answer a very specific question. We've talked about lots of things that are important to go down in terms of uh, real-world data. What's one thing that everyone thinks is really important in real-world data that doesn't really matter? It's funny that you ask that question, and my mind actually jumps to the inverse. And maybe this is because I keep watching these presidential debates where people don't actually ask the question that's being asked, but instead flip it to the question that they want to answer. But I'm going to go down that route anyway. And the thing that I hear actually that people are assuming to be true that they're not really asking about has to do with patient preference, patient transparency, and patient permission. And I do worry today about the sustainability of many of these models that we're excited about as researchers, scientists, and clinicians, because many of them don't have full transparency and explicit permission from the patient whose data we're fortunate enough to be able to access. What gives me the right to use your health data to answer my research question? Sometimes I fear that we haven't learned anything from Henrietta Lacks, the story of HeLa cells, and that in an age of Facebook, Cambridge Analytica-like angst among consumers, that we're falling down the same slippery slope. In a time when just about every major pharma company has some position on their website describing themselves as being patient-centric and focused on the patient, where does the patient fit in these use cases that we're enabling around the use of their data? This is an opportunity to celebrate. This is an opportunity to include patients and make them aware of some of the amazing ways that their data can be used, specifically their personal data to be used. And yet, we're not seeing that type of radical transparency, and we're not seeing opportunities to include patients as explicitly aware and giving their permission as partners in these use cases. I fear that without us pausing or pacing things and really taking thoughtful looks in that direction, my fear is that the next big headline around data is not a positive story, but it's a story about companies financial transactions and using individual health data without their explicit awareness. And that to create a chilling effect on many of these really important and high-impact use cases we're talking about here today. Well, that's a sobering note to end on. But thank you for it. I think it's important, obviously. Patient access to their own data, patient knowledge of how their data is being used is important and increasingly important in today's world. Thank you. It's great having this conversation with you today. That's all for today's episode of the Cineos Health Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Stewart from Cineos Health Consulting. If you want to talk through a hard decision you're making at your life sciences company, you may email me at podcast at If you like what you hear, please rate and review us on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, 
or wherever you get your podcasts. For access to more future-focused, actionable life sciences insights, visit the Cineos Health Insights Hub at insightshub.health. Cineos Health, shortening the distance from lab to life. Thank you.